it is good to be together. And um, if you're trying to decide maybe with those Christmas Eve services, whether to come to one or both, they will be radically different uh, in many ways. I don't know if you've been to one of our Christmas Eve or Good Friday, but we have all the lights off. Uh, we'll have candles, candles all over the place. They're battery powered, but they actually really look like candles. And so um, that'll be the evening service will be all uh, a totally different atmosphere and dark and stuff. And um, and just, I, I love it. So uh, I, I would love for you to come to both. Maybe if you had to choose between one or the other, uh, that's up to you. But <laughs> I would probably choose the evening one. Uh, just seems to be a really special time in the life of our church as we await for and celebrate uh, the treasure that is being sent our way. And um, so we, thank you. <laughs> we today, we've been covering one chapter of Genesis every week. And we, sometimes we spend a couple weeks, so we've spent over 50 weeks in the book of Genesis so far. We're in the 30s and chapters, so we've done uh, multiple weeks on one chapter. But today we're actually covering two chapters in one morning. And chapter 36 interestingly, is Esau's genealogy. And sometimes you're like, oh, genealogy, you know, it's boring. But if God is making promises to you, and if the promises are based on, like, lineage, you know, I mean, if someone here is promised, like, the most amazing acreage in Iowa, and, it, you know, you have to prove your blood connections to get the acreage, you're going to know it really well. And you're going to make sure your family knows it, your grandkids know it, or whatever. Like, everybody will know precisely how we're related to Jim, you know, or whatever it may be. And when God is making promises to a people, they sure as heck know <laughs> and remember how they're connected to this whole story. And one of the things that uh, is through Esau, which is um, Jacob's brother, and the story has taken us through that God is telling through Jacob, Esau ends up becoming wildly prosperous. His whole, they become a people group, the Edomites. And if you watch like uh, Indiana Jones movies and you remember like when they went into like, like they went this tunnel and there's this like whole city made out of rock and stuff um, and it's called Petra, um, that, that that's the Edomites. So, like, so Esau is like forming this kingdom, and there are kings and all this stuff that's happening. And what's super fascinating is Genesis 36 tells the story of, it, it says who, who all the people were, the leaders, the kings and stuff. And God does not tell one story about any of those people, generation after generation after generation. God doesn't, doesn't tell any story. It, so I, we could cover it, and it's worth it. It's every word of God is worth feasting on. Um, we're not going to walk through each of those names this morning. Um, and one of the reasons is God, it, it seems that part of the point of Esau's genealogy is that there's no story to tell. Because you have prosperous people who are not caring about God. And God, uh, unfortunately for them, is like, there's no story to tell here. Then we have God working in a very dysfunctional family. Some of you can relate. Um, God is working in a very dysfunctional family. And one of the brothers, Joseph, is like the opposite of Esau's family. And some very non-prosperous things are happening to Joseph. Joseph the 17-year-old kid that we're going to see 
And what is worth the telling is that God is involved in this guy's life. That God is working in this guy's life and it's a story worth telling. He's gonna actually spend the whole rest of Genesis. I mean, he covers a lot of ground in chapter one. And now he's gonna spend chapters talking about this kid. Because it's a story not just worth the telling, but it's a story worth hearing. And it's a story worth learning from. And it's a family story that we're just gonna, we're gonna, just gonna soak in and see what that means for our family, our church family, maybe our nuclear families that maybe are, are so dysfunctional that there's no even relationship there. And you're gonna feel better after this morning realizing that maybe your family's not quite as busted up as you thought it was compared to this family. Um, and, uh, uh, but that God, I, I don't say that lightly. Well, I did say that lightly, but I don't mean that lightly. And uh, knowing many of the family stories in this room, that it is God's gift that we're here and for him to write new stories and to be a part of that. That's one of the joys I get as pastors. It's not just like, oh, I've got the most power or whatever. I don't feel that. I feel really broken and messed up. But I also feel like I get a front row seat to the beauties of the stories that God is writing in this place. And we'll see what he writes this morning. So let's dive into verse 1 of chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan, this is this, this country that God is giving to his people. And then these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock. This guy's a very uh, wealthy, prosperous uh, owner of, of livestock. So the 17-year-old was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was, a, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them to their father. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him, Jacob made Joseph, a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So Joseph is 17 years old here. He's not a little kid by any means. He's close to my son's age. Um, Silas is right there about the same age. He's taller than me now. He's officially taller than me. Um, and uh, we, we've debated it for like six months, and the debate has been settled. <laughs> um, but he, um, kind of similar to Silas, like Joseph seems to be someone who, when he gets locked into truth, is like, could be like a lawyer. Like in our family, sometimes we're like, Silas, you could totally be a lawyer here because like you're, we need a judge to come in here and, 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 and hear this that, that we're going back and forth with. Um, it is an amazing trait to have is someone who can see something, see injustice, see wrong, and just be unafraid to speak it. And so Joseph is seeing his brothers be wrong, do wrong. And correctly, I have to tell my dad this. <laughs> so 
this is a great trait to have, truthfulness, unless the people around you don't want to live in truth. Then it is a trait that uh, is being resisted. And so his brothers likely see him as a rat. He's ratting out his brothers, um, ratting out their bad behavior to their dad. Joseph, though, speaks truth about his brothers to his dad. And um, Israel, it says here, doesn't say Jacob, which is interesting. Uh, Israel is kind of like the best name of Jacob when Jacob's actually really walking with God. Israel here loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. And man, there's, there is a brokenness in that. You know, there's, there's something about that that is broken that, um, that seems wrong. And that's okay. Jo, jo, Jacob does a ton of things that are broken and seem wrong. And, you know, it's a good lesson to us that God is not looking for our perfection. He's got that covered. <laughs> uh, he's looking to move in us and make us like him by his power, not by ours. And so he gives him this robe of many colors. And I think we think of Broadway. We think of the amazing Technicolor dream coat type thing. Uh, very like it is colorful, but likely it's not like just to sing, you know, songs on a stage. It seems what this robe is really meaning is that Joseph is marked by his dad as the one who's going to receive the inheritance. He, he's got the, he's not the oldest, Reuben is the oldest, but he's marked by his dad, like this is the one who's going to receive my favor and receive my inheritance. And it's like this in, in I think, different countries in Europe to this day, even like the inheritance isn't evenly split among the siblings, it goes to the oldest and everybody else gets nothing. And, you know, it, uh, us in rural areas, are like, that would make farming easier. <laughs> it, it would make, like, passing on land easier if you just knew this is just the way it is. It's just like this, you know, nothing gets divided. The assets just keep getting passed on collectively, never get broken up. Um, and so this robe seems to signify that Joseph is going to get everything. And it is poetically painful to see the end of verse 4. They hated him for this and could not speak peacefully to him. You know, they could, they were like trying to say something nice. They, they have such a hatred, they can't even say it, even if they wanted to lie. They can't even get it out of their mouth. That's how deep their hatred is towards their brother. Now, verse five. Like, <laughs> Joseph should really just lay low. You know, like, like if I was writing the story, I'd be like, hey, why don't you just lay low? Just let things cool down a little bit. Be less you, <laughs> you know, and uh, you being less you might mean they won't do, they won't be them if you won't be you, you know. Um, but here, verse five, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more, if it were possible. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? 
Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And just so, if you aren't familiar, a sheaf is just a, it's a bundle of grain stalks that are just tied together. Maybe for drying, some of you know more than me. Um, Joseph, though, shares here like how his brothers in the dream are bowing down to him. The youngest brother. And it's like, oh yeah, you guys are all going to bow down to me. And what is striking here, I think, like where we should be in a question like this is, where is this dream coming from? Like that should probably be like a good question that everybody, it's like, hey guys, I know we all hate each other here. Let's just pause and just contemplate maybe where this dream is coming from. Is this dream just coming from the mind of a 17-year-old who is basically just wanting to be more powerful than his brothers? If it's like, hey, this is kind of, he's the youngest, he's 17, the oldest must be at least in his 30s. And it's like maybe the 17-year-old is just seeing overlooked or whatever, and it's just kind of making this up. But if the dream is from God, if God is choosing not for things to lay low, but to be like, let's turn this up a little bit and see what happens. If God is giving the dream to Joseph, and maybe God is prophesying a future reality, it should be heard, it should be believed. Remember, part of the book of Genesis is like, God speaks worlds into existence with his voice. And if he's communicating something to a 17-year-old in his sleep, and for the, like, it should be heard, it should be believed, and it's not a 17-year-old just wanting to be the center of attention. It's maybe God using the weak to shame the strong. And this dream should be cherished by the whole community, even, that God has spoken to our family in his kindness uh, when God speaks, it's a good word, even if it bruises the ego. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't like that. Well, it's because of your pride. It's because of my pride. You know, ah, oh, that can't be from God because it would actually affect me. <laughs> it would actually change. It might, I might have to bow down, and, and uh, that's going to hurt my ego. And it's like, yeah, that's, uh, he actually loves you so much, he's wanting to hurt your ego. <laughs> and... Um, because God is good, his way is good, even if it actually just totally changes our life, absolutely changes everything that we find comfort in even, or that we thought we were finding comfort in. And he's like, hey, I, I wanna actually give you more joy, more comfort. So interestingly, his brothers don't even consider that this dream could be from God. And they've, it's not like God hasn't been mentioned in their family. <laughs> So much of what they, their whole life has been things that God has told their family. And instead, what God is calling Joseph to actually do strikes hatred in the hearts of the brothers towards Joseph. And Joseph believes what God is telling him. And his brothers don't even think it's a possibility. Verse 9. Hey, let's let it lay low. 
that's just, that might be enough, you know. No, we're going to ratchet it up again, you know. Mm, I think we can go a little higher here. <laughs> then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, his 11 brothers. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But it changes here. Don't miss the details here. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? The sun, the moon is bowing down to you? What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Um, it, it doesn't seem like Joseph is trying to get his brothers to hate him. It really doesn't. Like, it doesn't seem in the text like Joseph is like, hey, let me just do, let me say the most crazy things I can say. I just want them to just hate me. He is simply having dreams from God and sharing those dreams, period. It's like, this is what I got. How you respond to what I got, that's, that's you. But I'm hearing from him and I'm sharing what I'm hearing from him. Now, if you went up and been like, I see the sun, I see the moon, I see stars, what's this gonna look like? <laughs> How is the sun gonna bow down to you? You know, I think he'd be like, no idea. No idea, no idea how this is gonna play out. But I know I've heard him. And I know this is what he said. I know this is what the dream is. And just believing that these dreams will come true. And what's crazy is they do come true. Now, the sun doesn't, it, it comes true in a way that the sun, the moons, the stars, in the way that even Jacob received it is referring to the whole family. The parents, everybody is going to be bowing down before the young, the young punk out in the, with the, the livestock. And which kind of, you think of David, in some ways, and how God uses just David in ways that his family were like, yeah, we, we don't have anybody else that God could use in our family. And they're like, well, do you have any other kids? Well, there's one back there, but we don't have any that like God could use, <laughs> you know? And, um, and Joseph is kind of in a similar place like that too. Uh, we'll get to it with Christmas. Um, all of this is just screaming Jesus. And I think the more that you walk with him or the more you learn about him, the more you see him on every page um, because he's writing every page and he's writing it with the end in mind and knows uh, that it should just be pounding in the background that you just hear this continual pulse towards us to uh, be in beat with him. Um, so here, it's going to be 20 years until any of these things come about. It's going to be 20 years before these dreams come about. And fascinatingly, Joseph, for Joseph to become the one who all of them will bow down is actually God's plan to save the whole family. So these brothers are like, I hate you for what you're saying to me. I 
hate you for what you are telling me you are dreaming about. And they have no idea that God is orchestrating their salvation. They have no idea that what they so hate is God's rescue of their family, their kids. And they're hating it because they can't see the plan. They've just got a few words from God, and they think, well, that doesn't make sense to me, so I hate it. Those who are most jealous, those who are most mean-hearted towards God's way, God is actually orchestrating their rescue, and instead of them submitting to God's plan and being like, yeah, he's, God's going to use my brother, but it's for me, it's for my salvation, it's for my survival, that they're trying to kill God's plan for the rescue of them and their family. They're trying to kill God's plan for their rescue before it even gets off the ground because it wasn't their idea. It doesn't have them as the hero of the story. So they'd rather just kill this story and wait for another story where they're the hero and they're the center of the story and they can't see a weakling becoming a hero for their salvation. good word. So not even Jacob could envision how God's revealed dreams could come about. He doesn't know either. They're just hearing God. And Joseph knows they're hearing God. Even his dad doesn't. The brothers hate him more and are jealous of him. Jacob does interestingly at the end of verse 11, keep it in mind what Joseph has said. So he's like, son, I rebuke you, son. Do not talk that way. But then he walks out like he's chewing on it as they're walking away. Now, verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Joseph says to his dad, here I am. Verse 14, so he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And it's funny to picture this. And a a man found him wandering in the fields. Maybe not an outdoors guy. I don't know. You know, it just, just, it'd just be funny, you know, we're, we're surrounded by fields to just see some guy wandering around the field, you know? It's like, no, nope, I'm going to go this way. No, nope, you know, he, a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Look at verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So Jacob, Jacob, first of all, kind of stepping back, verses 12 and so, Jacob is once again not at his best. Jacob is not aware of the extent of his son's hearts. If Jacob was aware of his son's hearts, it it would be murder 
to send his son, to be like, hey, all your brothers who hate you so much and can't even speak a word of good to you, like, yeah, why don't you just go and spend some time with them and ask them how they're doing? And, uh, you know, like, Joseph is being too distant, or Jacob, sorry, Jacob is being too distant of a father in this moment. He doesn't know the heart of his sons. He's, and he's even like sending them. And did you notice where he's sending them? To Shechem. Shechem is just where two of the brothers killed an entire people group. Shechem is where they were not supposed to ever be. If you find yourself close to Shechem, run. Get out of there. That's not where God called them, but they were in a place where God had not called them and they had killed the Hivites in Shechem. And now the brothers have wandered up to Shechem again, and they're in Dothan, but they're in the region of Shechem. And now Joseph is walking into this moment, and they are conspiring to kill him. I mean, just try and put yourself in that moment. Now, once again, I don't think, I may be wrong, um, maybe some of you had, have really genuinely conspired to kill a sibling. Maybe, maybe in your heart, but genuinely, probably in your heart, um, this would be a good time to be like, yeah, it's me, you know, and the sibling. But like truly, life does get to maybe that place. And God can, God can heal and restore and redeem and actually make hated people become Maybe even not even your blood related, but like we have people in the room who are like, I used to hate you, and now I call you my brother. I call you my sister because of what Jesus has done, and he should hate us more than anybody, and he actually has uh, jumped on the grenade for us, and he's alive and well and is changing us to have hearts like his heart. But I just want to share, like, because maybe you've been close to this. Maybe it was with some other situation but for his brothers collectively to genuinely be like, before he gets here, how do we kill him? And for this to be a serious conversation is serious. It's a serious level of dysfunction. So Joseph is in a way their savior. And because God has given them dreams that we will see are dreams of how to save the people from starvation during a time of radical drought. And Joseph has been raised up and is just getting little, little pictures of it. It'll start playing out more, but he's just getting little pictures of how he's going to be the savior in a very physical, tangible, in one moment in history, in Egypt way. And rather than them experience their salvation, and humble their pride, they'd rather kill the one who's being appointed by God to save them. They don't know this at the time, but it's kind of the point is that like often those that are most against the things of God are those who are just most ignorant to what they're against. I'll say that again. Often those who are most against the things of God are those who are most ignorant to what they are against. Not calling them an ignorant person. They might be more intelligent than all of us combined, but they are ignorant towards the ways of God. Blinded by their pride. 
that I know versus do I know? Can I know? Can I learn? I think he's bigger than me. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. And defined him as a dreamer. He doesn't even live in reality. He's a dreamer. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. They're premeditating this. We will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, the oldest, responsible ultimately for the family, when Reuben heard it, and Reuben in the previous chapter had just done really terrible things, um, Reuben hears it. Maybe Reuben has been feeling conviction. Uh, maybe a conscience has been being softened in Reuben. But when Reuben heard it, the reality of the premeditation of this murder of their brother, when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands by saying, let's not take his life. Verse 22, Reuben said to them, shed no blood, let's throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, and wilderness isn't like a forest, it's a total desert. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben is conspiring in his mind that he's going to come and and rescue Joseph, but we're going to throw him in the pit. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, so interesting, Reuben, now Judah, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his, bro- his blood? Fascinating. They're like, you know what? We could kill him, but we could make some money off of this. We're going to never see him again, and he'll be a nobody for the rest of his life and die in total anonymity. But we can make some fast cash. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his brother, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And this is evil. These are evil actions. These are evil actions. We learn later in the book of Genesis that Joseph is wailing, he's crying, he's weeping. A 17-year-old is still not an adult, you know, and, um, but a 17-year-old is much more an adult than a 5-year-old is. And to, to just picture the 17-year-old that is in a soul level of distress begging his brothers not to do this evil thing that is going to put him into potentially, like, you're, you're done. Your life is over. You'll be a slave for the rest of your life. And they don't listen to, to Joseph's pleading, which we hear about later, and Joseph is sold into slavery. 
They intend to never see him again, and they already have a plan to cover up what they just did. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit, so Reuben was, you know, there's livestock around that probably took a break and went and worked the livestock for a while. Reuben comes back and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes. And that is a very common way in the ancient world to basically say, like, my life is over. Uh, I'm going to usually tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, which is what they buried people in, and would put dirt on your head or ashes on your head, which basically was like, I'm, my life is over. You might as well bury me in the ground. I'm done. That was a level of grief. And so Reuben tears his clothes, re- realizes his brother's gone, and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? knowing he's going to have to go back to his dad. Then they took Joseph's robe. This is the plan that they think is the best plan. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. That is wicked. That is evil. Imagine trying to trick your parent in such a serious way. <laughs> made me think, uh, I heard somebody once that was a, had like a neighbor boy in the house and they were like doing a family devotional time and they were reading parts of, the, of scripture. And uh, it was kind of places like this in scripture and the boy asked some parents who were friends of mine. I was like, does my mom know that we're talking about this stuff? You know, it felt a little bit like, is this okay? You know, I don't think they let me watch movies like this, you know. <laughs> oh, man. So this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And he'll believe this for over 20 years. He'll live like this for over 20 years. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. My life's over. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I should go down to Sheol to my son mourning which is a belief in that time, like before the resurrection, that that was like a holding place before heaven. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The brothers lied deeply to their dad. And uh, I I was trying to imagine, like, is there a worse lie you could tell a parent (laughs) than the conspiracy lies that they're telling their dad about their brother, convincing him that, that their brother was, and not just any brother, but the brother that they knew was his favorite and that he was planning on giving the inheritance to. And maybe it was because it was the brother that was actually wanting to follow God compared to all the other ones. Um, that's kind of the evidence we have right now. And uh, then Joseph, where we're at right here in the story, is like this guy's gonna be a slave for the rest of his life and watching your dad, um, and Joseph isn't even able to watch his dad, but the other ones are watching his dad. 
grieve like this, and truly, it's the opposite of Joseph's dream. You think about it, it's like, well, God messed up on that one, swung and missed on that one. Hmm. No way this is going to, those dreams are, 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 are vanished. Impossible. The sons have done everything they can to make sure God's dream doesn't come true. And that's okay. It's like, it's not the end of the story. It's, it's okay even to have people around being like, I'm going to do everything I can for you not to realize God's promises to you. And uh, even with the harshest resistance, God's vision can't be stopped. Uh, I have a preacher friend that's like, what every sermon should say is bow or run. <laughs> like, like, it's like, like if, if we're honest, it's like bow or run right now. Run. You won't outrun them, but at least you could try. Um, even in the harshest resistance, God's vision cannot be stopped. And here's a reality. It's like, wh- wh- how does this interact with my life? One of the things that I would boldly say to you is every single one of us are Joseph's brothers. Every single one of us are Joseph's brothers. We want to be the hero of our story. Um, We are confronted with God's vision for our lives, and we want to kill it. We want to stop it. It's out of our control. It makes us have to lay down our pride and there, even if you're like, no, that's not a part of my story. Jesus on the cross is proof that that is your story. That he actually willingly became weak so we can become strong. He, he willingly, he, he willingly allowed his identity, his, he never stopped being God God became flesh and dwelt among us. Joy set before him. He endured the cross. And at the same time, like we are his brothers, we put him there. It was our sin that put him there. He volunteered for it. He went willingly, but it, it was because of his love for us. And we are the brothers. If we're like, no, I'm, I'm Joseph. He's kind of a second hero. It's like, well, you, you got to make sure first that you recognize you're the brothers. Uh, then I do any of us in Christ, we are Joseph, too. We're the brothers, and we are Joseph. God has given us dreams. The things that he has said to us, maybe you're, I'm not a real dreamer. I think I dreamt like two nights ago that I was at my home, and there were like aliens in the air, and I had this weird feeling that other aliens were coming to fight those aliens, and I was trying to crawl through the leaves to get to the, a gun in my house, and I woke up. And I was like, th- those are the type of dreams I have, not Joseph dreams at all. That's why I have the word of God. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because I, I, I want to know, know what is true, and I'm, I'm too broken to be able to to hear dreams correctly, and thankfully God did very beautiful things in Joseph's life, but what he has shared with us is the same level as the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to us, because when God says that us 
giving our lives to him mean that we have his life, that he is adopting us into his family. He calls us sons and daughters, that we will actually be placed in a place in heaven that we are actually judging the angels who are terrifying if we saw them for who they really are, that we have been promised so many more dreams, and if we believe it, the people around us are probably going to hate us. If we actually talk about the things we're actually believing, and if we actually embrace the things that he is saying about us, they're like, who do you think you are? I, I, I think I'm someone that's hearing from him. Period. That's all I got is what is making this story amazing isn't that I'm worth the sun, the moon, the stars bowing down to me or, or that I'm, I'm worth actually him calling me his friend. But that actually, like, God is not far from us. Like, God was not far from Joseph. The promises that God had given to, to Joseph, his presence that God had given to Joseph, and when we think about what the promises God has given to us, and we'll talk about those more in community group this week and step more into those. The presence that he's promised us is the, the last things that Jesus said before he ascended and said, I'm coming soon, is I will be with you to the very end of the age. And even if you are, your hands are bound and you feel like you're being led into slavery, that's what you got when you look at how is my life looking right now. And you're like, I think I'm going to delete Instagram. I kind of got no plan to take any photo that's going to make me look good for any foreseeable time. But you've got his dreams over you of what he is doing in your life and where he is taking you. And it can't be stopped. And God, we just look to you. Lord, that might seem ridiculous. It might be like, this guy is way too positive. But that is the type of God you are. And we just want to commune with you right now, with your presence. If, if what your invitation is to someone is like, give your life to me. Bow before me. Come home running. God, you, when we do that, you set us free. When we, we do that, you, you turn Joseph's brothers into... God's people, into sons and daughters. And none of us deserve it, but all of us can receive it. None of us deserve it, and all of us can embrace it because we're embracing you, falling at your feet, letting you teach us new ways to think, new ways to act, new ways to speak, and even turn hatred into love. That's what you bought on the cross that is what you do in pursuing us, and it's at your table, Lord, where, where we just get a picture of where your love and your justice come together. And um, Lord, would you bring us into this moment, we pray. Amen. So this is his idea, the communion table, and what he teaches us is this is my body lived in your place. This is my blood that is shed for you. And I want you to take these tangible things, and as you take them, I want to commune with you individually, and I want to commune with my people. And so what we do here is just spend a few moments meeting with him, letting him speak with us about certain things, and then we'll come down uh,
aisle, the Pelhams will serve you the bread. Just hold your hands out. Take wine or juice. Obey your conscience. We'll go back. We'll remain standing. We'll take it together as family, and then we'll worship him. If you walked in, you're like, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I think I walked in as a brother. I wanted to stop this thing from happening. I didn't want to hear any of this stuff, um, but I think this maybe might be true. Or maybe there's a possibility that I might think there's a possibility or whatever it may be. Wherever you're at, I just ask you to just be genuine in this moment. And maybe what you need to do is just say, God, is this real? If it is, I'm listening. And that would be powerful. And I'd love the opportunity to even pray alongside you with that too. So let's commune with him. Let's come to him.